of prayer. Lord God, deepen our understanding and perspective of all that's around us, all that we do, in particular in the ways that we serve and the ways that we work. That, Lord, that you have given us an opportunity to have a wider impact and a deeper understanding of the idea of work and service. God, although our physical body desires one thing, may our soul and may your word and may your spirit lead us so that every aspect of our lives, which includes our physical body, would be strained towards the things that glorify you. At this time, would you speak through the power of your Holy Spirit, and would you make these words convict our hearts, transform us, and that we would honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, uh, we will be addressing the aspect of the core value of excellence in our church. We have, we have um, a series going on, and today is this idea of excellence, that whatever we do, whatever we see in church, we want to do it with excellence. Um, it struck me the other day when I go to Papa John's, I always see this plaque on the wall, their values and their goal and mission. And what they have for pizza, it's to give the best excellent product for cus customers to please them. And it was, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's intriguing that pizza, they look at it as an object where they want to excel for the sake of the customer. And then I always come back to the church and then I say, you know, not to say Papa John is not important, but what are we offering here? We're offering the good news of Jesus Christ. And then how do we view this work compared to producing pizza? And I would think most of us would say, pizza is important for my belly, and pizza is definitely needed in this world. But arguably, we would say the work that we have given to us from God desire, it requires a greater level of excellence. So I want to talk about work and excellence, and I know what our congregation is thinking because I love you and I know you. Some of you are thinking, well, I could fall asleep now because I'm retired and I don't work anymore. But say amen if this is true. When you retire, you found yourself sometimes more busy. Oh, yeah. I met so many people where they're saying, I've never been busier. And I retired three years ago. 20 years ago. So working with excellence is not only for the workforce. It's for all of us. It's also for students. Students, your job in your time of your life from kindergarten through college and master's is study. That's your work. We do that with excellence. So excellence in work, it's very uh, relevant to all of us. Have you ever received bad work I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not one of those diner snobs, but when a waiter here's like, you know, takes the food and he says, here's your food, and throws it in front of my face, it, it kind of rubs you a little bit wrong way, doesn't it? You know? Hey, can we have a fork? Here we go. And they flip it at you. I mean, that's hypothetical. But if that did, that would bother us. Well, I want to show you some pictures of really bad work, Ex examples of bad work. Check this one out. <laughs> this is a real work. So... This was under the category of not my job. So if you look, 
from the bottom, you see this straight line, and then the person driving this painting, striper, sees this branch, and you can see them kind of wondering, what do I do, what do I do? And then he said, oh, heck with it, and then he goes around the branch, <laughs> and you have a permanently crooked line, because that branch won't probably stay there for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, if you're driving down the road and you see that, are you thinking, excellence? <laughs> I just hope and pray whatever truck was driving that doesn't have a fish sticker and says glory to God or Jesus Christ or not of this world because I don't want you associating my Lord with that kind of work. How many of you would say that's pretty, you know, that's a pretty understandable thing. You won't want that kind of work to be representing La Mirada Church, for example, <laughs> or this town. So the next one, some things are more, get more serious. Can you imagine being a tattoo artist and who can find out what's wrong with this picture <laughs> I mean if you're giving good work that's good but you're permanently painting somebody's back I'm awesome or <laughs> we're missing the letter either and and you're like wow would you say hey good job it's close enough here here's here's my here's my my bill so we realize, even in the secular world, we don't have to be Christian to understand this, right? We don't have to be Christians to agree. When we're giving work, I mean, we expect and we also desire to give excellent work, don't we? Amen? I mean, you don't have to be Christian, you, but all the more for Christians. So that's where we're going, and the work actually gets even more scary. From That's funny, but it gets to the serious, and we heard about the tragedy of Concordia ship where the captain had work to do, and he didn't do it with excellence. And it wasn't just a bad permanent mark. 32 lives were killed because of that work. So this idea of working with excellence is relevant and it's important. But here's where we go with this. When we look at the Bible, when we look at Jesus Christ, when we look at who we are, it de demands of followers of Jesus something way more than just secular excellence. Um, when I was younger, my father taught me, and as, as many of you might have had parents or mentors, Jason, when you do work, you do it well. When you do work, you finish it. When you do work, you make sure you do the best you could do on it. My father drilled that into me. So my motivation growing up in fifth grade, I wanted a new bike, so I delivered newspaper. Sunday mornings, I would wake up at 5.30 in the morning, put 45, those thick papers in a shopping cart, ride a pedal to the apartments and deliver it. Rain, sleet, and snow. I was the official mailman. And, and, I, and when it rained, I still did it with excellence. My motivation, though, was two things. Was a new bicycle that I had a vision for. <laughs> and then my father's voice saying, do it well. And then it occurred to me as I became a Christian, that motto becomes even more different for those of us who follow Christ. So that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, as a prerequisite, I want to touch upon Genesis 2.15. In our culture, it's popular to say, oh, I have to work, or TGIF, what does that stand for? Thank God it's, right? That, that's built into our culture to say, man, work is a drag. I can't wait to not work and wait for the week. That's our culture. But I want to understand something. Work, work, you know, we don't have to be going to church. They make fun of Christians for being hypocrites, but the world is full of hypocrites. 
Because we say, oh, thank God it's Friday, let's party. And then when you lose your job, what do you do? Do you rejoice? No, you're like, oh man, I need a job. <laughs> so there's this mindset of a desire for work. And we look at work as this punishment. But I want to start off with this idea. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, where did work originate? From God. And when did he give it? Before sin entered the world. Work was part of God's beautiful, perfect creation. He's inviting you and I to participate with him in his world. Work is beautiful. I mean, it doesn't have to be church work. Some of you are maybe school crossing guards. How important is that? Some of you uh, work, work in the city. Some of you work in the town finance. All of your work participates with God's plan to keep the society going. Work is not a punishment. So I wanted to start off with that as a key thing. And work motivation gets different. So turn with me to Colossians 3. And I want to give us reasons why Christians' ex- nature of work has to be excellent. So here's a first. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul is writing a letter to the church of Colossae, saying, you are different. Can you say this with me? I am different in Christ. You are not the same as the world. Why? Look what he says. You have been raised with Christ. You are a new creation. So the way our hearts gravitate and the way our minds gravitate are different from the things of this world. So how do we look at work? What does the world tell you about what work is? Make money. Buy yourself a comfortable nest egg, you know, a house and retirement. And then retire comfortably. That's what the world tells you. But what does Paul say? As Christians, we set our hearts and minds on something different. We have been different. We have been, we work not for survival. We work as an outflow of who we are in Jesus Christ. That's why he says, set your hearts and minds in Christ. So we work with excellence because you are different. Brothers and sisters, you're different. You're not just surviving in American culture. You are a new creation. Um, For Christians, we realize verse 12, uh, Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. You have been chosen by God to live life in a different way. We aim for an eternal perspective. So how do I view work? I view work as not something I need to get through. I work as something that my job makes an eternal impact for the kingdom of God. So he goes on, chapter 5, I mean, chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, here it is, you're different, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He's saying, your old self, the way you work, your sinful ways, is no longer relevant. That should not drive you. Um, I hear this in church a lot. I hear this in church in the world as Christians. You know, when we get caught in sin we, or we do something bad, instead of repenting of it, we say things like, well, I'm only human. Well, everyone does it. And, and you know, for followers of Christ, do you see the language that Paul uses? Those things put to death. 
Put to death in yourself. Don't excuse them. Put them to death. Jesus died for those sins. Why would you cling to them any longer? So he's saying you're totally different. So in other words, how does this relate to work? Do you ever have temptations if you're working field to steal someone's idea? In work, do you have temptation to lie to make yourself look better? Do you ever have temptation to steal someone else's account? Uh, we were watching a video from Not A Fan and one of the episodes was the main guy stole somebody's account by lying. You know, um, we hear this a lot where, you know, if you just make promises you can't keep, I hear this from salespeople, and one of my friends was a car salesman, and he had to quit after three months because he said it's impossible to work as a Christian without lying. And he goes, the secret is you make promises you can't keep. (laughs) I promise you we'll get this done in two months. Just give us the job. And you never had that intention. But to get that account, you do. So working, we don't work that way. As Christians, the ends do not justify the means. In other words, how you do the work before Christ, does it glorify God? So so Paul is saying to us, you are different. You live in a different way. And then he goes on. Put to death your old self. Do not, verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. In other words, so you took off your old self. Your new self is one with a new clothes. You have a new purpose. And he says, clothe yourselves with gentleness, kindness, humility, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against another. Does your work reflect that? Does our work, whatever we do, reflect that other people are important? Are they kind? Are they gentle? Do we do work with compassion? You know, look around at church. Do we do work considering others as important people or just people we get through? So this is where Paul is saying, we are totally different. We look at work differently. Therefore, how we work is very pertinent to the life that we live in faith. So what does a work for Christian look like? And this is where I want to jump down to verse 22. This is the crux. So how do we work? What's the perspective of work? Verse 22 of Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Just three things from there, and we'll focus on that. Number one, Paul is talking to slaves. In this day and age, they're not the slaves that we think of in American history. These are indentured servants. So Charles, I do a favor for Charles. Charles can pay me back. So I say, Charles, we're brothers. It's okay. Why don't you just mow my lawn for the next, like, three months. Yeah. <laughs> Charles says, dream on. So he's, he's actually become a servant, or vice versa. I, Charles did a favor for me, so I serve him. So he's become an indentured servant. He can't pay it off with money, so he works for me. And can you imagine working, and you don't get paid, and sometimes the misery of the tedious, mundane things. And Paul is saying there were a lot of these people who were, their whole families were indentured, And he's saying to them, 
don't do it grudgingly. Don't look at Mondays with, ugh. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eyes on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. There was a funny story, was true story of a guy, he used to go to work and then there was a construction site and they had one of those big cranes. So he was so intrigued about how they use a crane. So he, every day he would just stop and watch them, the crane operator do the crane, this heavy machinery. And he would do it meticulous, you know, calculation and perfection. And when the job finally finished, after many weeks, that man went up to the crane operator and said, hey, I've been watching, you know, good job. And then the crane operator came out and he said, wait a minute, you're not the supervisor? <laughs> and the point was, he was doing a good job because he thought somebody, his supervisor, was always watching him. And what a conviction for us. Do you do your job well because you think the boss is watching? Do you do your job well because you think somebody would tell? See, we're motivated by a different motivation, aren't we? Whether we like the job or not, we're motivated by this idea, I give excellence because I don't work for the supervisor. There is an eye on me, but his name is Jesus. So he's saying, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So the motivation here is, do you work as if you are working for Jesus Christ himself? Wherever you are, teacher, manager, director, pastor. By the way, as a pastor, people are, some people say to me, you're our employee. And I said, with all due respect, I have a... I have a scarier boss than you. <laughs> and I'm not intimidated by you. <laughs> my life and my calling, my excellence, is going to be measured by him. So, you know, you could drop the charade. <laughs> but then I realized, isn't that all of us? That we are being watched, that the stewardship of everything we have, our boss may not give us a raise, our boss may not give us kudos, but we do work with all our hearts because we're doing it for someone greater. That is a worldwide, mind-blowing perspective that all of us have. And then thirdly, not only do we do it with grace and, and joy in the Lord, lastly, look at the motivation, last motivation. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What Paul is saying here is, don't work hard hard and well because of what you get paid by your job. <laughs> Work hard and well because what God has in store for you, as tedious and mundane as little it may be, his inheritance is your reward. That's our joy. Our goal in life is not, remember the bumper stickers? He who has the most toy wins. You ever see that? That's the worldly perspective. Or he who has the most fun wins. Again, that's your old self. Your new self is set your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, so 24, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I looked at the Bible and I realized throughout history, who are the heroes of the Bible? I think about Daniel. Did you know Daniel had a bad boss? His boss was, was King Nebuchadnezzar, remember? <laughs> Guy was bad. I mean, the guy wanted people to worship him, so he built a statue. And when they didn't, threw him into the furnace. But did you, if you read Daniel chapter 1, what does Daniel do? 
He works so excellently that they found no one else like these young men in their work, in their intelligence, in stature. They were captured by an enemy country. And what did they do? This guy stinks. You know, we're not going to just do our best. He actually did his best. <laughs> Look at Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, bought by the slave owner. Slave owner's wife, Potiphar, was a shady woman. <laughs> he wouldn't sleep with her because he was striving for excellence. Potiphar was pleased by him, and then he was accused of sexual harassment falsely, and then he was dumped into prison. And then what happens later? He still gives excellence. Tells about a dream. The Pharaoh calls him out, and Joseph becomes the second highest. And in a world that wasn't his home, he served with excellence. Who was he serving? Pharaoh? He was serving God. And lastly, look at Jesus. Walking 33 years, carrying that cross. Who was he doing it for? Ultimately, you know, some of us, the stories are compassionate, touching when we say he did it for me, and that's true. But what was Jesus' joy? The word of God tells us, and, the before, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was doing it for God's glory. Jesus models it, and in his work, he redeems the work for you and I. So I want to ask us this. This idea of working with excellence, whether it's folding bulletins, whether it's singing a song, whether it's collecting, cleaning up the pews, whether it's sweeping up the floor, do we do it with excellence? Why? Because do you do it as if you're serving the Lord, as if God is right here? So here's a great New Year's resolution, isn't it? So if the sermon ended here with, so start working excellently, let's pray, <laughs> you know? That kind of sounds a little bit harsh. It kind of sounds challenging. How are you going to do this? How do you work harder? New Year's resolutions? How do you work harder? Put the boss here? Put a camera? The answer is all in Colossians 3, isn't it? You work harder because your approval, your worth, your identity has already been secured in the work that Jesus Christ has done. So in other words, let me put it this way. We don't work to win God's favor and approval. We work because we already have God's grace and approval through Jesus Christ. So how do you work harder? You fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus, you have given me this life. How do I live it to glorify you? Jesus, with every little work you have, this is all grace. How do I do it to honor you? The joy comes from the fact that whatever little things we do, we do it for God. Let me tell two stories just to make that point. When I was in fourth grade, I, I went to my parents' dry cleaners, and I was so proud of this. And <laughs> dry cleaner, you know those shul cardboard shoulders? Do you guys, you know? And my, my dad had like, you know, arthritis, and my mom couldn't do it, so I used to make, have a race with my brother to see who could make the most cardboard staple gun, you know, and we made it. And I learned from there, like, wow, these little things matter because I learned from that every one that I did, it was one less that my parents had to do. So I made like a thousand of them, <laughs> just boxes and boxes of them. And I started learning, man, there's even the little things in job, it matters. Scale it back. And let me tell you this story as a last illustration. True story. A boy, when he was growing up, a man, he was telling the story of a man named Dan McKay. 
and he was a Christian who owned a little cobbler shop fixing shoes. And the little boy, during the time of depression, got a job, and what he would do is he would take leather, dip it in water, and then pound it out tediously, tirelessly, until the leather dried. And then when the leather dried, he would put it on the shoe. And he was like, this is so dumb, but, and this was the worst part of his job, and he did it every day. Across the street, there was another shoe repair shop, and this guy wasn't a believer, and this guy had a lot of customers and a lot of, lot of uh, kids around him. The guy was crass, and he noticed when he dipped the wa- leather in the water, he didn't wait for it to dry. He just put it on the shoe and started pounding it, wet leather on the shoe. And so he said, wait, what's the secret? So he went over to that guy and said, hey, I noticed you don't wait for the leather to dry. You know, why do you do that? And then this crass cobbler who was, who was basically um, just one of those snaky guys <laughs> said, my boy, that's how you keep them coming back sooner and make more money. So the little boy ran back to his boss, who was a Christian, who witnessed and who, who did this, and he goes, I found the secret. Why don't we just do it like him, and you get more customers? And this is what the old man responded, and this is what he said. He said, Harry, I do not cobble shoes just for the four bits and six bits, like 50 cents, that I get from my customers. I am doing this for the glory of God. I expect to see every shoe I have ever repaired in a big pile at the judgment seat of Christ. And I do not want the Lord to say to me in that day, Dan, this was a poor job. You did not do your best here. I want him to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he went on to explain that just as some men are called to preach, so he was called to fix shoes. And that only as he did this well would his testimony count for God. I want to ask you guys on this idea, do we do work with excellence? If God were to measure all that we've done, the big things and the little things, can we say, Lord, I did it for you with excellence? I want to ask the deacons and elders of our church, this calling that we receive from God, Lord, I want to serve you with excellence. Some of you who are occupational, or retired and grandparents, do we look at everything in our lives and say, Lord, for your glory, I want to make you look good, and I want to serve with excellence. Because the prayer for my heart in this year is, Lord God, in this church, whatever we do, whether it's hosting a dinner, whether it's Sunday school, preschool, whether it's praise team, our desire is to do it with excellence for your glory. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for work. We thank you for work not only because it provides an income, but it is an opportunity to show our faith to display it. It is an opportunity, Father God, to glorify you in it. Even when it seems like it has nothing to do with anything particularly religious, God, that these tasks that you've given to us are our ways of expressing that we are different people. 
redeemed by Jesus, called to a different life. So God, whether we're students, working, or retired, whether we're in secular world or in ministry, we ask, would you give us a heart for excellence? It doesn't mean we will always be perfect, God, and you know that. But may our hearts never cut corners. May our tongues never tell lies. May we never, ever try to make ourselves look better than we really are for the sake of pleasing or looking good in front of people. But may we do all things, Father, because your eyes are on us. And you have done too much great things for us. So God, in your love, we find grace and we come back to it every day. That every work that we do, we realize it is an opportunity to bless you. So Jesus, thank you so much. And may you continue to guide us, fix our hearts on the wor- from the worldly things to the heavenly things. All these things, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.